driving on, keeping the ball alive. Doggy Vieira is almost like a back row forward. And great stuff there by Doddy Weir, who, uh, when he goes like that, he's like a mad giraffe, but he's got great skills. Hello and welcome to our latest Doddcast, brought to you thanks to our friends at Aberdeen Standard Investments and our great friends at Rugby Pass. We are delighted to be with you again. And today our guests are, of course, the one and only Doddy Weir. There is no Doddcast without Dodd. Uh, we've got Scott Hastings, chairman of My Name's Doddy Foundation, but also, of course, a legend of Scottish rugby. And we've got Sean McGrath, who is our medical strategy lead at the foundation as well. So it's great to have everybody online today. And a big thanks to Tim Groves, our producer, the font of all knowledge. And we will be talking a bit of rugby. But as always, we kick off with a, a word from the big man and see how he, how things are. Doddy, how's lockdown treating you? How are you doing? Hello. Yes, welcome. Lovely to catch up with everyone again. I think everyone's fine getting a bit tricky now. Getting quite bored of it. I certainly think my family are getting quite bored of it, uh, having to deal with me on a daily basis. But... I'm still quite enjoying it, catching up with quite a lot of Netflix and Amazon series on the telly. But to be honest, I'm recovering from quite a major fall. About three weeks to a month ago, I got a, a lot of people MD might be able to relate to this. A weak left leg, so I tripped on a carpet and fell over. And when I fall, it's like having your hands tied to your waist because my arms don't really help me very much. So when I fell over, I landed with a bit of a bumper, and I was a bit unfortunate the carpet I landed on didn't have a very good underlay, so it was like my head hitting concrete. And with that, I got five stitches on my head. I knocked myself out for about two to three minutes. I knocked the tooth out. I bruised my ribs. And hurt my knee and my elbows. So apart from that, I'm on the road to recovery. But it's one of these things that I think I can just go watch now because my stability when I walk is maybe not as good as it was. So when I do trip, I don't have the function to keep myself upright. And I have to admit, I don't really want to go through that again because what I do remember when I fall, I woke up. And an ambulance on the way to hospital. So the NHS, thank you very much for passing me up. I'm certainly on the road to recovery. But I, I didn't uh, think I might be here four and a half years in. And my youngest son is just turned 17. So I've been helping him drive on the road, which has been quite exciting and interesting. So life and lockdown has certainly had its up and downs. Never a dull moment in the life of Doddy Weir. Uh, and uh, happy birthday to Ben. I will make sure I keep well out of the way if I see him coming in the opposite direction. Uh, well, I'm sorry to hear about the fall, Doddy. Um, and, you know, it was painful. It didn't look great. You know, you had a big gash on the side of your head. And it is, as you say, difficult if you fall and you can't brace yourself with your arms and of course you can't it's not as though you can use a stick or anything because you wouldn't be able to hold on to a stick so you're just going to have to adapt and learn to work with this and I, I know you're as keen to stay as mobile as you possibly can but it, it does have 
restrictions, doesn't it? It does, Joe. It's given me a bit of a knockback for a while because, funny enough, I think I was saying to our chairman the other day, Scott, that I've received more injuries with M&D than I have throughout my whole Olympic career because we're falling over, as you've explained, I uh, punctured my lung not that long ago, dug my head in the gate. So, yes, I've just got to be aware of where I go now, but I'm still doing quite a bit of exercise when I can. But, yeah, I'm a bit more, um, what can you say, like Bambi on ice at the moment when I walk. So I just have to try and get my confidence back. So with that, I do get the kids or my super wife to help me walk. So they're able to brace my arms. So if I do go, at least I've got a cushion to fall. And just being aware and trying to adapt because what I don't want to do is just keep seated. I want to get up and about and walk around the farm. And with that, I've got to get someone to help me at the moment. Until maybe I get my confidence back. You're looking very well, and I know you've been looked after in lockdown beautifully. And uh, I should also say that chair, our chairman Scott Hastings is also looking splendid. But I think we'll all agree that Scott, you'll be very pleased when the hairdressers open again up in Scotland. Yeah, my my hair's gone a bit wild actually, and uh, it's interesting, Dory, talking about the disruption he has in his life. I think. We've all been affected by COVID and the disruption in our lives. And whilst there is light at the end of the tunnel, for Doddy, he he is facing an uncertainty this year more than anything else. And I remember being with Doddy talking about tripping up. We were in the bars and Lang Kwai Fung at the, uh, the the world's greatest ever rugby dinner, raising funds for My Name's Doddy a couple of years ago. And we were coming down this steep hill and he needed somebody in front of him just in case he did actually have one of these trips. And we were kind of playing along with them. And, and it's that realisation that, that for Dodi, every step this time throughout this year is going to be a bit of a challenge. But we're all here to support the big fella. And as he said, once he gets his confidence back and he gets out on the farm and starts walking around the farm and the fields, I'm, I'm sure, like, like he does in, in everything, you'll just face the next challenge and every day as it comes. And we're all here to support him. I think you've hit the nail on the head. It is a challenge. My main frustration at the moment for anyone listening is that I got a COVID job some maybe six weeks ago, but we're struggling to get my wife a job at the moment because she's been helping me no end, caring for me, getting me dressed, cooking, washing, doing everything for me. But she's not on a list of paid or unpaid care. So there's no kind of medical uh, list to say how vital she is to me. So if anyone's listening, I would contact your doctor and get your unpaid care onto a list and get vaccinated as soon as possible. Because if I lost my medical, my good lady, I would certainly be in a bit of trouble. I think a lot of other people, the M&D, would be the same. You need to be on a register. I mean, Doddy, I bet you didn't even know there was such a thing. And therefore, if you register as a registered carer, you would then be eligible for the jab at the same time as, as whoever the family member is that you're caring for. So it's a hugely important issue. And I think it's great that you were able to flag it up. And I know that you're not alone in that. We've had anecdotally um, stories of other people who find themselves in a very similar situation. And I think you've enough to worry about without thinking what happens if my carer 
contracts COVID and all the ramifications of that. And I think probably I am the only person on the call who hasn't had the COVID jab, which I think says a lot about how old I am and how old you are, because Sean, Sean, I'm sure you've been jabbed as well. I haven't been jabbed. Um, no, oh, that's no, young thing. I'm far too young to have been jabbed, but <laughs> but I do have my appointment on Saturday Saturday afternoon, so I'm really looking forward to it. And, and I, yes, that's such an anomaly, and it's so difficult for, I think, we have to say that the vaccination programs have gone very well, but it's so um, it's it it shows you how difficult it is to cover every single base. I was just laughing at um, when Scott was talking about um, Doddy finding his feet uh, and practicing on the farm and getting his confidence back. I just thought it's much easier to fall in the mud of the farm than fall on a concrete deck with no arms. So uh, um, I was wincing every single time. The head, the tooth, the ribs, the elbow, the knee, and and then I just thought, who who has the strength to pick you up and put you into an ambulance? That must have been some strong people to do that as well. So uh, I hope you're on the mend, big fella. Well, we are ironically with my chiropractor's uh, new surgery, so I was there opening and uh, left it with a very good christening. Uh, with red pipes of blood all over his carpet, bless him. <laughs> Um, with the ambulance team, the, the passageway wasn't quite wide enough to get the stretcher in, so there's a lot of scratches on the wall. But yeah, we're on the road to the cafe. If any normal body person can attribute at home, you've got enough muscles and strength to stabilise yourself. And unfortunately, people at the MD don't have that luxury. So I just have to make sure that I have a look around for any obstacles or anything that's going to kind of trip me up and uh, avoid them. But the weather's getting better. And it might sound bizarre again. My body is a bit like a barometer. So with the bad uh, wintry weather we've got, I'll take a good. Uh, maybe morning for my body to warm up. But when the weather's a lot warmer, I feel a lot better. So you never know, you might see me running the London Marathon by the end of July. I think we all feel a little bit more positive when we get a bit of sun on our face and we see the spring flowers coming through and we get the suggestion that things are opening up and there's a, a whole air of optimism. But we have come off the back of you know a long, hard winter, but it had a, it had a few bright spots among uh, among it and I think we should reflect on the success of Doddy Aid which was just a phenomenal month of activity and fundraising for the foundation but also an opportunity for people to be active in a very dark time of the year feel they were part of the foundation and, and feel they were supporting the foundation in a really accessible way and it was just amazing wasn't it Scott to see that the the interest and the support that we received for the through the whole of that uh, month of, of January thanks to Rob Wainwright and his team. Yeah, it was quite incredible the way that whole program snowballed. And it just goes to show the power of social media that when you get your messaging right, we got the timing right and we stimulated and asked people to to get on their bikes, to get outside and do exercise and stimulate people through the month of January, not only to exercise for themselves, but also to raise funds for My Name's Doddy Foundation. Of course, the big fella is such a a lovable fella that we all felt we could do our bit. And it was funny because we all came out with different ideas about what to do. I ended up, um, would you believe, ice skating on Inverleaf Park. And Doddy mentioned about Bambi. I was all over the place. But <laughs> it was a bit of fun to record a few more miles um, as part of this competitive uh, edge about, you know, accumulating your miles 
across different districts, reflecting of the old inter-district championship that uh, used to be played in Scottish rugby. But everybody got the concept. And, and the beauty was that they were brought together under the social media banner where they were able to post videos on themselves either swimming in cold seas. And there was Kelly Brown, the former Scotland player, who, who was swimming, I think, in Loch Lomond. It looked absolutely freezing. But folk went out of their way to do what they wanted to do. And um, such was the success. We raised over a million pounds. And it culminated in the most extraordinary sort of uh, online virtual event where so many people came on with their stories about what they did. I found it absolutely inspirational. It was brilliant. And I can't wait to do it again next January. So we have actually created a platform now, which not only embraces the fun, which is what Doddy is all about. He is, the, the, you know, everything about him is about fun. But the fact is we're doing it with exercise and we're doing it with a purpose and we're doing it to help other people with MND and to, you know, invest in funds and research into this uh, dreadful disease. Exactly. Watch this space because uh, Doddy Aid 2022, the planning is already underway and we're all very excited about it. And as you say, it, it did stimulate us all in, in the new year. I even did dry January, Sean. So, you know, we knew I was taking it very, very seriously. And I think it's important to also reflect on how we want to invest the funds raised there. Um, and we've been doing a lot of work with the foundation and, and Scott's been driving this along with the trustees uh, to look at our strategy going forward. Doddy hugely involved in that and, and Kathy and all our board of trustees to look at how we want to move the foundation forward over the next 10 years, looking at our research strategy, looking at how we support people and families living with MND, looking at how we can be advocates for them, looking at how we can shine a light on this disease educate people around it but also make sure that we as a foundation are doing it in the proper manner so that's a huge piece of work that's been underway and we will share it with you hopefully very soon um, and of course incredibly important to that is the research and you may have seen in the the news over the course of the last um, few weeks and, and months some some new research results coming through and I thought it would be useful for Sean just to maybe update us on some of those because some of them were very big headline stories. Yes absolutely Jill um, so I mean, from as you say, we, we have to be uh, very focused on how we spend this hard-earned uh, cash that is donated to the foundation, and and we so we we focus on a number of areas, and we repurpose existing drugs. That's certainly an area that we focus on. We look at gene therapy. We're concentrating on a on a protein called TDP forty three, which is a which is an issue in the cells that builds up in the cells of motor neuron disease patients. Um, so we're looking at, at gene therapy to how to clear that out and how to prevent the buildup in the first place. Another area is the platform, these platform clinical trials, these big clinical trials. We, uh, motor neuron disease has been has been um, underrepresented in terms of clinical trials in the, it, for, forever, really. And so we are part of our focus is really uh, trying to change that and working with. Um, uh, the team at MND Smart and the team, the European team at Tricals, to to uh, make sure that as many patients, MND patients, are entered into clinical trials as possible. And the MND Smart, uh, they now have, I think, there's eight, seven centres: five in Scotland, uh, two in England. Um, most recently, Southampton um, and Inverness are the two most recent centres, bringing out up to seven centres. And they have plans to, you know, I think the idea is to have about fifteen centres, and that will dovetail with the TriCals platform trial. So 
Hopefully in, in, in 18 months' time, we, we could have 20, 30 centers in the UK all treating patients in clinical trials with drugs, and that will be a real step change. And so we're very proud to be part of that. You mentioned the research that came out of Edinburgh recently uh, in January, um, and this is, this, is, uh, this is research that we, we, sometimes we fund uh, individual scientists and researchers to do work, and this is part of what we're doing in Edinburgh. And essentially what they did in Edinburgh was, um, it was it's a human stem cell model of the disease. And they found that if you can repair the mitochondria, and the mitochondria is like the, the energy cell of the, of, of the, uh, the, the battery of the, uh, um, it's the energy source of the cell. And if you can boost the mitochondria, um, you can repair some of the damage that's happening in the nerve cells, in, the, in those neurons. And so that's a really important breakthrough. So what we need to do is find drugs now that can boost the mitochondria. What happens is mitochondria tra travel up and down the axon. And if they're not active enough, if they're not doing it with enough vigor, if you like, it shortens the axon and, 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 and the, and the um, messages that go to the muscles don't work as well. And when Dottie falls, he can't get his hand out in time. That's exactly ex ex exactly what is happening there. But we find that if you can boost the mitochondria, you can start to repair those motor neurons. And that's a, a, a real indicator. So let's, let's try to find drugs that can repair the mitochondria. So the challenge is to find drugs. And there are some drugs that, that we will be looking at from a repurposing point of view, but very different and very separate to that. There was some research that came out of Northwestern University near Chicago showing that there's a, there's a new molecule, there's a new compound called NU9, can restore the activity of mitochondria uh, in the upper motor neuron cells. So the upper motor neurons tell the lower motor neurons what to do to put out the arm and stop you falling. And uh, they found that, that this, this compound, NU9, can restore some of the activity of, of the mitochondria. Um, and so that's really interesting. And we can get that, that molecule into the right form of trials and get it into patients as quickly as possible. Uh, because the, the upper motor neurons command the, low, the, the lower motor neurons what to do. And so if we can repair those by boosting the mitochondria with this new molecule, I think we're, we're, we're onto yet another area of focus that, that we will be certainly uh, behind and asking our advisors, how do we, how do we boost the, uh, you know, the research into this, making things happen quicker? Surely, I don't know, M&D Smart, if they found a solution in the petri dish to try and boost the micro, micro the doodah. Why can they not transfer that to the human? That's a very good question. So MND Smart is a setup. It's a central protocol that runs off of uh, for various centers, but it's to take repurposed drugs. Yeah, but Matt, the question is, they, they boasted that they found a solution. They found something in the petri dish that increases the cell's life, brings it back together. So that in my mind, there is a solution there. Why can't they not directly transfer that to a human? Why do they need to find another drug to do it? Well, I think I think with this new molecule, they will be looking to to how do you how do you take a molecule and put it into something to give to a human? But in order to do that, there's a whole process that, by law and by regulatory um, you know instructions through the FDA and EMA and and our own MHRA, that we have to go through a number of processes in order to put it into a human. But that will be absolutely the focus to. How can we get this, this drug into humans as quickly as possible? A quicker way of doing it 
is the repurposing. So, so we know that if mitochondria, let's take this as an example, if we know that mitochondria might, might be part of the solution to slow down or even stop or even reverse motor neuron disease, then we need to find drugs that are active against, that will boost the mitochondria. So there are, there are some that are already gone through all those safety things that we know have some activity. I think some of the anti-diabetic drugs have some activity on mitochondria. So the obvious thing to me now is to talk to MND Smart and say, what drugs can you put into your repurpose program? Because these drugs are available. And so we can test some of these, these maybe, and I'm not sure what drugs they are. People, people cleverer than me can find out, but there will be drugs out there that are already marketed for other diseases that will have some effect almost as a side effect of what they're trying to do. They'll have some effect on the activity of mitochondria. So the, the obvious thing to me is let's find these drugs and put them into the MND SMART program. Alongside that, if you can find new molecules, which is NU9 is, which will be a longer process, that's specifically, that's their role in life is to boost the mitochondria. That's, that has to be a worthwhile uh, area of research. And that's something that, that we will obviously follow up on. I think all in all is quite exciting. I think with the foundation as well, we are continually challenging the professors to get their finger up and trying to get this solution that we're all requiring. And that's, that's a story that I recount often, Doddy is that our very first meeting with, with, our, with our advisors. And they said this, you know, they, I can't even remember what part of, the, part of the research program they were talking about, but there's somebody mentioned it would take about five years to do this. And you said, excuse me, why, what, what do you need to do to, to make it happen in one year? And, uh, and that made everyone just sit up and think. And that's exactly the kind of challenge that we, we want. And, and it's also important to say to, to people listening to this, Podcast is that this is just one element. We, we we can't pin our hopes on mitochondria alone. That's why we're looking at TDP43. That's why we're looking at repurposing. That's why we're looking at gene therapy. That's why we're looking at many areas. And we we have to find what's the you know the biggest bang for our buck for our hard earned cash that people have donated. And we have to find where you know what's how how are we going to best unlock and qu- the the quickest way to unlock this very complex secret. And I think there's um, a momentum within the research community. We've been part of a collaboration with MND Scotland, MND Association, and a whole host of stakeholders within MND, including patients, big pharma industry, uh, who are all, and, and the main charities, who are asking for some investment from government to really focus on MND research, make the UK you know, world leading in what we're trying to do global leaders in MND research uh, and we're a meeting, Doddy, myself and Amar, uh, one of our professors that we work with, um, had a meeting with Matt Hancock in December. We have a round table with the government now planned for the end of April, which will be a really excellent opportunity to explain what we're trying to achieve. But also I'm delighted that the government are listening and want to engage with us because I think that's a that could be a really big step forward. We'll keep you posted on that as well. You talk about um, you know, challenging the medical community, Doddy, and, and you do it so brilliantly because you ask the questions that often these people have never been asked before. And Chris Shaw, who's a fantastic professor of neurology down in uh, King's in, in London and was one of our first ever grant recipients. He works in gene therapy uh, and he tells the story um, when he first met Doddy. Doddy said to him, how long have you been working in MND? And Chris said, 
thinking quite pleased with himself oh 25 years thinking how impressed Doddy might be and Doddy says what have you been doing what have you been doing in that time there's no new treatments what have you been doing for 25 years and Chris sort of said yeah that's actually a very good question so I think it's that sense of challenging because we know that there are some brilliant brilliant people out there doing some incredible work and we will be meeting our um the people uh, th that we talk to regularly the professors and neurologists and clinicians uh, in May when we have our next scientific advisory board and we've met twice in during the pandemic um, remotely but we're very much hoping that we'll be able to meet them face to face for the first time in, in over a year so that would be very special as well but Scott when you hear some of the work that's been going on and you look at the hard work that um, all of these incredible researchers are doing I don't know about you but from being involved in the foundation it does inspire you to to carry on and to do more and, and to do better because we can see that there is steps forward. Yeah, I, I, and Jill, you know, since three and a half years or three and a bit years since we've set up My Name's Doddy Foundation, we have made incredible strides, incredible impact into that research community. And that's been driven by all these fundraisers who've engaged not only with getting behind Doddy and, and, and motor neuron disease, but it's actually stimulated us to rattle the cage in many respects. And you're absolutely right when Sean says, you know, why can't we do this quicker? You know, why can't we move things faster? You can hear, hear Doddy just talking about NU9, that molecule. Why can't we do it? And this is where we've got to challenge the medical and research profession to see what solutions. But they are bright minds. The brightest minds of our life sciences sit within our grasp. And if we can influence and stimulate and innovate these people, then they can find the, 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 the cure, a world free of MND is where we are after. And, and Doddy has single-handedly, I think, challenged all of us to react accordingly. And, and I think when you look back and what we've achieved, we've achieved a hell of a lot, but we need to do more. And, and that's what's stimulating us to do so. And I suppose as former rugby players as well, we always took risks on the field of play. Um, we always challenged ourselves to perform better. And I think those values that we encapsulated in, in playing international rugby are actually reflected through the foundation. And everybody gets it. Everybody um, provides that momentum, whether there, there's people out there doing you know, cake, cake bakes and selling scarves and face masks with our branding on it to these people who, who are raising so many good funds, rowing the Atlantic Ocean, cycling around the world, you name it. The fact is that's providing a stimulus to the research community to really embody and embrace everything that we're doing to allow that, that possibility of a world free of MND. And undoubtedly, there are breakthroughs. But as Sean McGrath has just said, we've got to do this on multiple platforms. Because one, you know, we sometimes have to go down a, an A road that might be closed, which will allow us to go down the B road and ultimately find a cure. But Scott, you said that so eloquently. I totally agree with what you said now. I think you and I and everyone's been involved in a team. I think we're putting a team together. The bigger, the better. And we're all working together within that team. As you say, within the team, we need fundraisers, we need the professors, we need challengers, and we're slowly getting there that we're all working in the same direction. It's very exciting the way we're going, and thank you to all who's been involved so far. 
And I think also, as well as, you know, challenging the, the research community, we challenged medical community, challenge, challenge clinicians, we challenge ourselves quite a lot. We do hold a mirror up and have a look at what we're doing and make sure we're doing it in the right way and in the right manner. And I think, you know, we, we must continue to do that because, you know, as you said, uh, Scott, three and a half years has gone in a flash and uh, we want to see what the next 10 years might bring. So I think as long as we, we keep as well as being disruptive and, and doing all the things that we do, we need to look at ourselves as well and make sure we're doing it in the right way. And we've got a lot of exciting things to look forward to. We've got um, some events that we hope to run over the course of the next year. As I said, we'll be sharing our strategy. We're going to be talking to our professors. There's a lot going on. Uh, and I, I think there's a sense in the community we're kind of champing at the bit to get together and have a bit of fun and do something. And I... I think the one thing that hopefully government will listen to because we've asked them for this extra support is if we were able to raise a million pounds in January, yes, it was because people wanted to be active, they wanted to support Doddy, but they wanted to do something to help fight MND. And if you look at Kevin Sinfield was able to raise millions of pounds through his marathons in support of his great friend, Rob Burrow, people supported Kevin and Rob because they saw the devastation of MND and they wanted action taken to find a world free of it and therefore government must listen to that and think well if all of these people are putting their hands in their pockets to try and do something maybe we should get involved with that as well. I think we should also touch on while we're talking with uh, about momentum uh, we should talk about Scottish rugby. Scott I'm going to hand to you because you know we kicked off this uh, Six Nations campaign in the perfect manner and then, you know, it's like we take a couple of steps forward, a couple of steps back. Should we be disheartened? We have only lost by a couple of points in very key matches. You know, it goes to show how the thin layer of success and failure in terms of winning, losing international rugby game can happen. It's been an extraordinary season. And, um, you know, I'm sure our Welsh listeners will be chuckling in the background because they're now going for a, a grand slam. And, and for Scotland... Um, after a magnificent victory over England, um, the first time they won at Twickenham since 1983, the team performance has slightly imploded a wee bit. And on both occasions, Scotland have opportunities to win both games against Wales and Ireland. And yet, somehow, they, they, they've just mismanaged the game. And this team, I think everybody, all supporters across the Six Nations, across World Rugby, will have seen a difference in the way that Gregor Townsend has managed his team, but unfortunately, the failing of Scotland to close out games, make mistakes in key positions, has cost this team dearly. And um, it's so destroying as a former player, as a commentator, as a supporter, it's just frustrating. And, and um, you know, we all need our sport to pick us up. And, and the Six Nations ha has been, you know, tremendous this season. And you just look at England, who, who, who lost also by 40 points against Wales, but produced a magnificent performance against France. So the opportunity allows teams in the Six Nations to bounce back quickly. And, you know, they've got, they can put things right and move forward into the next World Cup cycle, which is in France in 2023. But by God, it's been tough at times. Yeah, quite frustrating. Scotty, absolutely unbelievable what you said there. The boys win the Calcutta Cup was very, very rewarding, very exciting for uh, all different reasons. But then losing the Dodge Cup was was quite upsetting. But for me, the frustrating thing is 
ill-disciplined. I think nowadays the boys can get away with anything on the field. And I do believe they're giving away silly penalties that they don't need to do. Uh, but with that, it's still been an exciting season. The Scotland team have been in it right to the end of the games. But the best of wishes must go to Wales and I hope they do well and pick up the grass slam. But Jill, what I have been watching is lovely to see Russia doing so well against Romania. <laughs> <laughs> Let's hear it for Russia. Well coached, I think you'll find, Doddy. Who's coaching them? Well, you see that very great old mate of yours, Carl Hogg, has been doing a little bit of work with the forwards with the Russian team and they've got a big match this weekend as well. I think they played Georgia again in Kellingrad or somewhere I've never heard of. Um, Sean, I was going to ask you, because obviously you sit there in your armchair basking in the glory of South African World Cup victory. Then sadly, they've not had a game since. But, but uh, you know, what do you make of this Six Nations? Are you enjoying it? Do you, do you, do you attach some kind of support to any of the, the nations? I do. I do massively. Um, my Both of my parents are Scottish, Glaswegian. And um, so I'm a Scottish mortar. I've, it was just so frustrating watching the games against uh, um, particularly Wales. Um, because I really, I really felt that that uh, Scotland would win that game. I really did, um, and and even though we had a player sent off, and and it, it uh, which was a bit harsh, uh, we still could have won that game. And uh, it was just to me, it was the most frustrating game. So yeah, to answer your question, Joe, yes, I'm very engaged and very invested in the Six Nations and in rugby in general. And I was in Japan um, to watch the final when the, when the South Africa beat England, which was obviously one of the highlights of my sporting life. So that was fantastic. It was. And I just wonder if I'll get back to Tokyo this summer for the Olympics. There's so much up in the air at the moment. We don't know what's going to happen with the Lions. We don't know what's going to happen with the Olympics. Uh, but I think there's a general air of optimism. And I think the one thing that we've felt over the course of the last few months is sport has given us all a little bit of light relief from the kind of daily grind of of living within a, a COVID environment. And I think that's that, that's been fantastic and particularly excited that the summer will get up and running and we'll get hopefully some fans going along and being part of crowds again. And who knows, Scott? I mean, I think we're excited at the prospect of the lines. And, and I think for the first time in, in maybe a couple of tours, we, we could look forward to having a, a decent representation from Scotland in the squad. Yeah, it's um, it's a little bit of unknown where that tour is going to take. Lots of speculation whether South Africa will come to the United Kingdom and play some test matches here or whether tour goes ahead down in South Africa. Um, it looks as though if it does go down in South Africa, that there, there might not be fans present or there might be limited fans. Um, but, you know, from a Scotland perspective, you know, from that very first weekend, a number of players, Hamish Watts, Johnny Gray, Stuart Hogg, all Duan van der Merwe, all put their hands up and say, I want to be part of Warren Gatlin's uh, team. And yet they've let their sort of credibility slip a little bit with their losses against Wales and uh, Ireland. And of course, Warren Gatlin was watching Scotland's performance against Ireland Saturday. And just the, the microcosm of the game, when you look at, Johnny Sexton against Finn Russell. There's been a lot of debate about Finn Russell going on that tour. Well, I'm afraid Finn Russell didn't do himself any favours in the way he managed that game on Sunday. And, and therefore, Sexton, on the other hand, you know, played that sort of experienced role. And, and there's an awful lot of other good fly halves around as well. And you just have to look to the England board battle axes, both can play 10 
And depending on the nature of the tour, I suppose that Gatlin will have the dilemmas of selection that it could be a very short tour so that he has to pick solid, reliable um, players that will deliver the victory and the winning culture within the Lions environment. And he can't afford the flamboyant risk of a Russell. And yes, the game does need characters like that. Look at Rhys Samet, the way he has lit up the Welsh performances, for example. And, and you know, there's a lot of great players out there and the, the competition for places is going to be hard. But for the Scots boys, they've got to react accordingly over the next couple of Six Nations weekends, this European uh, weekend action, the quarterfinals of the, the, Heine, the, the Heineken Champions Cup and Challenge Cup in the first week of April. And for me, those are key weekends where Scottish players can really put their hands up. There's, a, there's plenty of talent around and, and, and competition for places will be as hot as ever. And I wanted to just have a quick word with Doddy again, just to say, um, what's on the horizon for you? Well, in about five minutes, Chile Babe, I've got the physio coming to look after me. But yes, with the COVID restriction, limited what to do, but the lambing starts in about two weeks, which will keep us all quite busy. The farm needs a bit of attention, so make it back in my tractor and have a good time raking the field. So a lot going on, a lot to think. But the foundation as well is an exciting time. So we just all got to stay strong, keep strong, and keep the momentum going that we've achieved so far. Quite right. Well said, Dorian. I know that, you know, certainly in my experience growing up on the farm, tempers used to get a bit frayed around lambing time. So that was why it was quite useful to get our little dodcast away today and not wait till the middle of lambing time when things things can be a little bit tricky from memory. Well, yes, very much so. <laughs> Uh, we've not got that much help again because of the COVID, so things could be tricky. But luckily, I can still take a couple of pints of Guinness, enjoy a bit of red wine, so that might soothe everything over. Quite right. And we might have something to tell you, share with you very soon relating to red wine. Watch this space. Keep an eye on the website. That's all I'm going to say at this point. Um, listen, I want to say a massive thank you to Scott Hastings, chairman of My Name's Doddy Foundation, rugby legend and a great friend to Doddy. Good to see you there, Scotty, and uh, can't wait to get the hairdressers open in, uh, in uh, Scotland, uh, get the barbers open. You're looking splendid. Listen, a lot of men your age would be happy to have a head of hair like that. I'm just, <laughs> just putting it out there. Doddy, as ever, lovely to see you, big man. You're looking well. We will talk to you very soon. And Sean, thanks for everything that you do a brilliant job as ever uh, with the foundation all the work that you hard work you do for us uh, and we will look forward to hearing you on, the, uh, on a forthcoming dodcast my thanks as ever though to our friends at Aberdeen Standard Investments for their support their ongoing support and for helping us with the dodcast and particularly also to Rugby Pass for helping us and to Tim Groves our producer font of all knowledge as I like to call them thanks to everybody for listening as well and a little treat for you before we go because I know many of you have already downloaded this you can download it from all the usual places but it's a fabulous piece of music by Bruce McGregor written in tribute to Doddy and supported by some of the most incredible musicians including Nicola Benedetti but all sorts of extraordinary extraordinary musicians took part in this it's a fabulous piece of music enjoy it download it all proceeds coming to the foundation I give you Doddy's dream
Paddy Weir, there they are, driving on, keeping the ball alive. When he goes like that, he's like a mad giraffe, but he's got great skills.